Hello and welcome to the latest DAC Beechcroft Lawcast. My name is Rod Richards, Head of Business Development for the Claim Solutions Group at DAC Beechcroft. In this episode, Emma Bowens, our partner in the Regulatory Safety, Health and Environment team, is joined by her colleagues Sally Roth and Charlotte Miles. They discuss the practical steps to take in the first hour after a serious accident in the workplace. Hello and welcome to the DAC Beechcroft SafetyNet podcast. In this series, we provide practical solutions to challenges in regulatory law in a number of different areas, so health and safety, environmental, and both food and product safety. So my name is Emma Bowens and I'm a partner in the Regulatory Safety Health and Environment team and I am joined by my colleagues Sally Roth and Charlotte Miles. Welcome to you both. Morning. Morning. So I think today is going to be a really interesting discussion because we are going to go through some of the things that you need to think about in that first hour after a serious incident. Now, obviously, this is something that we hope that those who are listening will never really need to implement, but obviously it is always good to be prepared. So very often we're instructed right at the outset, so very soon after a serious incident, which you know, is very helpful because we can advise our clients and support them through making some of those very early decisions. But we've all had cases where an incident has happened quite a long time ago. And, you know, sometimes it's just soul destroying when we think, you know, I really could have helped you do things differently. So sometimes there's a lot of work as well to do to unpick the problems that have developed Sometimes that can be just where there's a misunderstanding early about the facts or the evidence, but often it can be a lot more serious than that. So we are thinking about the first hour or so after an incident has happened. And obviously we are assuming that you have contacted emergency services and arranged first aid. So one of the first things that we do is secure the scene and protect the evidence. And Sally, uh, I can recall cases where you and I have both had experiences where we've been instructed late and that wasn't done and evidence has been lost. So what would you say um, we should be doing um, at the outset to make sure that the scene is preserved? Oh, you're absolutely right, Emma. It really is very difficult when one is instructed so late and I echo everything that you've said so far. I think the scene of the incident is absolutely essential and it's really important to preserve that, particularly following a fatality, because it provides some really vital clues as to what might have happened. And although following a serious incident, um, the police and emergency services will be very quickly on the scene and then you may have less time to be able to react. You will very often be able to preserve that scene right at the beginning and to ensure that the scene is also safe for the emergency services. So if you do have to move plant and equipment to ensure that the scene is safe um, or that the emergency services can get access, make sure you keep a record of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and just to kind of add to that as well, it's it's important for from our perspective, because obviously, when an accident's happened in the immediate aftermath, we aren't necessarily just around the corner. Um, and photographs are extremely helpful for us in terms of trying to understand the site layout. And like Sally said, you know, initially, if you've had to move plant and equipment, um, it's always really helpful for us to be able to see what the scene was like. But it's also really important to make sure that as and when you do take photographs, they're taken when it's appropriate to do so. Um, I know on on some some cases that I've dealt with that I've received photographs that have included 
the injured person receiving CPR and treatment from paramedics. Mm. And so, you know, whilst photographs are, are essential, it's really important to be mindful of the most sensitive time to take them. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And um, I mean, I just, one of my cases, I had a, a case where a person was really significantly injured and the team had, you know, washed the floor and sort of cleared signs of the incident away because they just, they really wanted to be helpful. You know, it kind of came from mm. a good place because they were upset by seeing the scene and they didn't want other people to see that. But as you can imagine, you know, understandably, the police were, were not too impressed by that. And, and obviously, it's a really terrible start to your relationship with the police or the HSE, Absolutely. You know, whoever is investigating. So I'm keen to cover some of the other evidence that needs to be secured. So Charlotte, what would you say is the thing that people will often overlook in your experience in, in these early stages of the investigation? I think one of the most common things that I see is CCTV. Um, a lot of the time, you know, we, the client's got CCTV, the accident has been captured or, you know, the periphery of the accident's been captured on, on the CCTV, but the, the video isn't then downloaded or saved onto a system, meaning, well, usually what happens is then they have it on a, you know, a weekly, bi-weekly basis whereby the CCTV evidence is then overwritten. Yeah. And ultimately, we never get to see it. The regulator who will eventually come to site will never get to see it. And if you lose that vital evidence, you then end up having to rely very heavily on witness evidence. And, and that can present quite significant challenges, um, especially if people's versions of events aren't quite the same or, mm. you know, you don't actually have any witnesses to the incident itself. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you, Sally, what about you? What do you think tends to be overlooked in these investigations? Early yeah, on? on the CCTV point, I know that I appreciate today we're just talking about the immediate aftermath of the incident. So CCTV from the day is going to be important. But it's also important to try and get CCTV from the days before, because that gives you a really good idea as to how things really operate on a day in day out basis. So if you can capture CCTV, not just from the day, but but also from the days prior to the incident, it tells you an awful lot about the culture of the organisation and how processes and procedures are being implemented. So that's just something I would say in relation to that. I also think it's really important that you get information from individuals as soon as possible so that decisions that you're making are based on fact as opposed to what you think might have happened. So find out who was involved, who wasn't involved. And often that's really, really important because it's surprising how many times you find that people who you didn't think were involved um, come to light number of days afterwards and, and say that they are. So making sure that you're really sure as to who and who isn't involved is clear. Try and find out what happened. So just basic facts, who's been injured, um, the extent of those injuries, really about witnesses, what's happened and what have they seen? What are their immediate accounts? So try and get some information really soon about the immediate circumstances so you can make proper decisions on basis of what has been seen and what hasn't been seen. Absolutely and I think just to sort of add to that as well it's, it's really important to understand internally who is actually investigating the incident um, and you know we, we've all seen it on cases that we've been dealing with that there are sometimes too many people involved in the internal investigation and it can become 
complicated or a little bit clouded or you know some people aren't really sure what they're supposed to be doing so that that's a really key point to bear in mind and also in terms of the the injured person you know where have they been taken which hospital have they gone to Um, it's also likely that you'll need to speak to the family or um, the next of kin so you want to try and be as helpful as possible to give them all of the information that they need I mean if it's a very serious incident or it's a fatality then the family or the next of kin may well have already been notified but this is a it's a really difficult call for anybody to have to make and probably not one that you know many people have ever had to do before mm-hmm. and it's obviously something that you know we never hoped that anybody would have to, to to make that call but obviously we can then be on hand to assist and advise about the appropriate information if that would ever be helpful I was just going to add to that if that's okay Emma um just to say that um it's important to have the right people give passing that information on to family so making sure that you've got somebody who is able to convey the situation with empathy perhaps um, is able just to give a very brief account of what has happened as opposed to um, responding to questions so it's really useful to have someone who's been prepared to give that type of information in those circumstances. Yeah, great. Thank you. And just moving on to thinking about witnesses, uh, Sally, what would you say are some of the initial things that people need to be thinking about when it comes to witnesses? I guess the first thing I would say is that those eyewitnesses have very often experienced a very traumatic set of circumstances that they have never experienced before. So you have to take account of that. So making sure that they have got the appropriate support Are they fit enough to answer even your questions? Make sure that they um, are taken away from the scene, that they are appropriately supported by the right people. I guess sometime down the, you know, within a few hours or maybe in the days afterwards, you might think about getting them some appropriate um, mental health support, um, a counsellor or medical treatment, but really checking that they're okay as well. That's really important. Um, the other thing I think really key for me is it's absolutely human nature that when a serious incident has happened, that everybody wants to get together and um, put forward their account of what might have happened. And what very often happens is that you get all of those pieces stitched together and you might not get the most accurate account of what's happened. So I really say to my clients, try to keep people from having those discussions but I guess it's important to be realistic and that those discussions are going to happen at some point so try and make sure that you get the information you need as early on as you possibly can knowing that people are going to want to talk to each other and that will happen but if you can keep them separate and from talking about the incident circumstances together. I mean, there's so much that I could say in relation to witnesses. There are so many types of questions that we might have for them. They may also be involved in the investigation with the regulator, the police or the health and safety executive or environment agency. All of those people may want to talk to them. And we can talk about those sorts of that type of information um, that's requested and also um, any legal issues that they may face at a later session and um, we are having a safety net session in March where we can talk about those things in much more detail. 
Absolutely. Um, and before we move on just to the next section of, of this um, session, I did say that the Safety Net podcast series was about offering, you know, practical solutions. So we've put together a short checklist or sort of a handy guide of points that we're discussing today. Um, so if you are on our mailing list you should have already received a copy of that document with the link to this recording but um, if not if you're not on our mailing list do and get in touch with us our contact details on our website or you can email us at she she for safety health and environment at dacbeachcraft.com and we'll send you a copy so Charlotte this is obviously a very very busy and stressful time after an incident and a number of people will need to be notified so if you had to sort of think of a little checklist of those that you might need to talk to after the circumstances who would be on that list? Yeah so I mean touching on on um, what we were talking about before in terms of keeping the injured person's family notified and up to date as to what's going on um, you've also got the regulator depending on the circumstances of the accident. Um, there's the companies or the businesses insurers to notify um, who will in turn you know, notify us. Um, and also internally, you know, who, who do you need to speak to? Who have you got to escalate this to? Managers, um, the health and safety team. Um, if you have a press team, that's also a useful um, department to notify just in case you know, you, you find yourself um, with the accident on the local news or being reported in the in the local paper. It's always useful to have that um, in the background. But that's something that we can always assist with if, if you don't necessarily have have a press team. So there are there are a few people that, that you need to be thinking about notifying in the aftermath of, a, of an incident. Yeah. And I think also what's really important is that there's a, a clear agreement about who is going to notify the various people on that list. So I, I have had. Yeah, I've, I've had cases where. Um, you know, when we go through the list with clients afterwards, you know, some have slipped through the net. And I had one case in particular where one person thought that another was notifying the family, but it actually hadn't happened. And obviously the organization was devastated when they realized mm. that that call hadn't been made promptly, but it was something that we had to deal with very quickly. It was just really difficult after yeah. the event. And, and I, I had a recent case um, sort of in the midst of, of COVID and, and lockdown where one person thought that somebody else was doing the riddle report and the other person thought that yeah. they were doing the riddle yeah. report and because of people being off having with, with COVID mm -hmm. and having to isolate that slipped through the net and actually it was something ultimately the um the company wasn't prosecuted but it was something that the regulator made a really big deal about yeah um, even though Absolutely. it was a a total kind of <laughs> accident that that yeah. nothing nothing was done about it so it's really important that those lines of communication internally are kept really open yeah, it's a good point because it's a, again, it's a really bad start, isn't it, to an investigation? Yeah, absolutely. If that's how your conversation starts with the HSC. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so we've we've covered some of the very initial things that you need to think about. So preserving the scene and the evidence, getting the right level of detail and information in relation to the incident, some of the basics on witnesses, and then also escalation and notification. Are there any other tips, final tips, Sally, um, on how you would deal with that first hour? Yeah, I think it's really about, for me, it's really about preparation. And whilst we've said a number of times on this uh, on this podcast that we hope that none of you listening to it will have a serious incident in your organisations, uh, the risk of an incident happening together with the very significant consequences, I think is such that it's absolutely essential for all businesses to have an incident management plan. 
Um, We really don't have time to talk about that today, but it is an area that we can assist you with. And because that really ensures that if the worst happens, you're able to stay calm and carry on. Yeah, absolutely. Charlotte, how about you? I think one one thing to kind of keep in mind is social media. And you might need to sensitively think about reminding employees about your social media policy if you've got one. Um, You know, social media is so prolific now. Everybody uses it. And sometimes it's not really very appropriate to discuss incidents, accidents that have happened at work, particularly if somebody's been really seriously injured Um, you know they're not going to want details of that or alleged details of that splashed all over Facebook um, or Twitter or or whatever platform Um, so it's it's helpful to remind teams of that and I mean obviously we've said it's only natural for people to want to talk to each other about what happened Um, but I think it needs to be managed appropriately Um, and so, so so a decent social media policy is is really really important yeah Absolutely. Um, what What about you, Emma? Um, I think mine would be just reminding the teams on the ground that they shouldn't talk to the press. And I think I think most people know that, but I think it is also helpful to remind them about that so that they're not caught out. Yeah. And we've had situations where the press have arrived on site and then obviously they approach people who are leaving the building. Mm. And I think sometimes it's just really helpful to equip people on how to, to deal with that, let them know that they should be saying they're not able to comment, but to get the contact details of the press and and give it to the press team so that they know that um, if there is going to be a statement, then it will be released to them. So I think that's helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that the important, but both of you have just picked up some really important things, which is around communication, which is that if there are gaps, people will fill them. And if there are silences, they will fill them. So if you properly um, provide information to your teams internally about what has happened even the briefest of accounts they're not unlikely to go to other places like social media or the press in order to fulfill um, to to, to satisfy that vacuum of information that they have Mm -hmm. so it's really for me about having proper communication in place absolutely yeah that's a really good point so we've gone through some tips about how to deal with the first hour after a significant incident. And as Sally touched upon just before, unfortunately, that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what needs to be done in these initial stages. For example, it's so important that you take steps to protect your internal investigation report under legal privilege so that it's not disclosable. You know, there's going to be requests for documents and information from regulators that will need to be responded to appropriately. And then there's there's lots to say on how to deal with the press and how you communicate with your teams and suppliers and then HR implications as well. So there is just such a lot to think about. And obviously we run courses on this. If that is of interest to you or you want to talk to us about anything that we've raised today, do let us know. Uh, again, our contact details are on our website or you can contact us by email on she, S-H-E, at dacbeachcroft.com. And as Sally mentioned as well, if you want to know a little bit more, then Sally will be discussing some of these issues at our next Safety Net event on the 9th of March. And in addition to that, you'll get a legal update and also a sentencing update. So if that is of interest, just get in touch and we will uh, reserve a place for you. So if you have any questions about what we've discussed today, let us know. We're advising our clients about this, you know, every single day. We can help. So do do get in touch. 
So then all that is left for me is to say thank you to you, Sally and Charlotte. Uh, I knew this was okay. going to be a really interesting discussion. I, I really hope people have found this helpful. Thanks, Emma. Thanks to you all for listening. And we look forward to bringing another SafetyNet podcast to you very soon.